Welcome to Trinity on Tap Theology, a podcast series brought to you by Trinity College Queensland, presented by Dr. Victoria Lorimar. Episode 8 The God Who Suffers. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. In the midst of all his troubles, Job cried out, How frail is humanity! How short is life! How full of trouble! Have you ever felt like that? In the midst of bereavement or poor health or relationship difficulties or general hopelessness, have you ever wondered where God is in all of that? While few of us would consider ourselves to be in the same league as Job, it is a general truth that suffering comes to everyone. And for many, the presence of evil and suffering is a proof that God doesn't exist. For those who do believe in God, the contemplation or personal experience of pain often prompts the question, does God suffer? It's very clear from this line in the Creed that Jesus suffered, and we'll return to the significance of that in a short while. But is Jesus suffering the same as God's suffering? Jesus is God, after all. Perhaps when we speak of Jesus' suffering in the Creed, we're just referring to his human nature. The flogging and the crucifixion, after all, is a very physical kind of torture, and the triune God, as distinct from the incarnate Christ, doesn't have a body, right? The question of whether or not God suffers has been asked throughout the history of Christian faith. There is an ongoing debate over what is known as divine impassibility. Traditionally, God has been thought of as impassible incapable of suffering or experiencing emotions as we humans do. To be subject to the passions, many early and medieval church scholars argued, would compromise God's perfection. To feel emotions would constitute a change in God's being, but scripture tells us that God does not change. And since God is eternal, and suffering is something that changes with time, and God has no body, so therefore cannot experience physical pain either, then it must be impossible for God to suffer. A strong rejection of this idea began to develop in the 20th century, though, particularly in response to the two world wars. Faced with such immense suffering, an impassable God was nonsensical and unappealing to many. What good was a God like that to people? Geoffrey Studdart Kennedy, a chaplain with the British Army in World War I, expressed this conclusion poignantly in his poem The Suffering God. And as one stanza goes, Are there no tears in the heart of the Eternal? Is there no pain to pierce the soul of God? Then must he be a fiend of hell infernal, beating the earth to pieces with his rod. The only credible theology for Auschwitz is one that makes God an inmate of the place, as another theologian put it. In fact, a whole movement called protest atheism emerged in the same time period. The experiences of war and totalitarian regimes with their various mechanisms of control and torture led many to argue that God simply couldn't exist at all. We'll talk later in this episode about whether God and suffering can coexist, but for now let's stay with the question of whether or not God suffers. Is God passable, that is capable of emotions and suffering, or impassable, not capable of emotions and suffering? 
There are many instances in the Bible that attribute emotions of grief and distress to God. One of the most cited passages in favour of the passibility of God comes from Hosea. How can I give you up, Ephraim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, for I am God and not man. God grieves over human sinfulness, feels pity for the afflictions of Israel, and even experiences compassion on behalf of foreign nations. We read of God changing course in response to intercession. Think of that story of Sodom and Gomorrah. God's heart yearns for the people. Prophecies foretell that God will groan like a woman in childbirth. These verses build a picture for us of a God who is intimately and passionately engaged in human life, experiencing suffering and grief as a part of this personal involvement. But what about the scriptures that deal with God's unchanging nature and character utterly different from our own? Those who wish to affirm the impassibility of God even today often direct their critics to verses such as Malachi chapter 3 verse 6, I the Lord do not change, or James chapter 1 verse 17, which describes the Father as one with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. God knows the end from the beginning. God is outside of time. God's purposes never fail. God's love endures forever. God's ways and thoughts are higher than ours. The otherness of God that's extolled in passages like these is increased by the role of God as creator of all things. In fact, Isaiah chapter 44 suggests that failing to appreciate the gulf between the characters of God and humans results in idolatry. An argument that God does not suffer would explain all of the verses we looked at earlier, the ones that described God as grieving and moved by us as anthropomorphisms, projections of human experiences onto God. And to a degree, that might be true. We can only ever make sense of God using the concepts available to us in our own experience, as we talked about briefly in episode three. St. Anselm, remember, he's the theologian responsible for the definition of theology as faith-seeking understanding. Anselm explains how he makes sense of the figurative nature of suffering language, saying to God, quote, Truly, you are compassionate in terms of our experience, but you are not so in terms of your own. For when you behold us in our wretchedness, we experience the effect of compassion, but you do not experience the feeling. Therefore, you are both compassionate because you do save the wretched and spare those who sin against you, and not compassionate because you are affected by no sympathy for wretchedness. Jürgen Moltmann, on the other hand, is a 20th century theologian who argues that God does suffer, and he writes, A God who cannot suffer is poorer than any man. For a God who is incapable of suffering is a being who cannot be involved. Suffering and injustice do not affect him, but the one who cannot suffer cannot love either. So which one is right? Well, I do think there is a case for saying that God suffers and not just Jesus. We should steer clear of saying that the eternal triune God shares fully in the sufferings of the human Jesus Christ at the cross, 
because there were elements of that experience that were uniquely human. How else can Jesus be the great high priest that fully identifies with us? But we can still speak of God's suffering at the cross in a meaningful way and entering into our suffering without compromising God's divinity. Perhaps God's happiness or mood, if we can speak properly of God having a mood, isn't subject to the actions of others as much as ours are, but it seems that God chooses to be moved in response to our circumstances and to share in them. So what does all of this mean pastorally? Whether or not God ultimately experiences emotions or suffers in the way that we do, the genuine love and compassion that God has for us is displayed in the free choice to enter into human suffering in order to redeem us from it. And in our suffering, we have the hope and promise of a future with God in which suffering will be no more. And it's in real life experiences that this truth about God is made clear to us. If you've read much by a Christian writer, C.S. Lewis, this is driven home when you compare some of his writings. He wrote a book called The Problem of Pain in 1940. This is a work of what we call theodicy, which means a defence of the goodness of God despite the presence of evil. It tries to answer the question of how a good God can allow bad things to happen. In The Problem of Pain, Lewis builds a strong intellectual argument drawing on all of his powers of logic and rationality to explain why pain and suffering are a necessary part of our existence and how God ultimately uses them or transforms them for good. But fast forward to 1961 and the publication of A Grief Observed. Lewis has just lost his beloved wife to cancer. And this time he writes not from a rational perspective, but one of raw emotion. Logical explanations don't mean a great deal for him in the midst of his grief. Like Job, he is angry with God for allowing this to happen. His agony is acute, and it takes him some time to make peace with God in it all. And this peace would be impossible to reach without the conviction that God has compassion and sympathises. Both of these words, compassion, sympathy, literally mean to suffer with. What does it mean for us as we think through a theology of suffering? Or to begin with, it's not always possible to think through, that is to appeal to what we know is true intellectually in the midst of acute suffering. And that's okay, because God has created us as multifaceted creatures who need to integrate all aspects of ourselves. When we read in Hebrews chapter 4 that Jesus, our high priest, has shared in our trials and is able to sympathise with our weakness, we're reminded that we can take our pain to a God who truly understands. But let's go back to the creed. Why is Pilate specifically mentioned? Not only does it identify the person Jesus of Nazareth as the one spoken about in the creed, but for the early Christians formulating and saying this creed, persecution under the Roman Empire was an immediate reality. The suffering of Christ wasn't abstract for them, but immediately and concretely relevant for their existence as Christians in a hostile world. And in some parts of the world, Christians continue to be persecuted for their faith today. 
but that's probably not the experience for most of us listening. As I said at the beginning of this episode, though, suffering is a universal part of human experience in this particular period of salvation history that we inhabit. And the Christian faith is wonderfully resourced to speak into difficult circumstances. One of the names given to God in the Old Testament is El Roy, the God who sees me. I love this name because it's a unique name given to God by Hagar, a powerless Egyptian slave woman forced into surrogacy and then cast out into abject poverty. We looked at Hagar briefly in the last episode. The story of Hagar is one of the tougher texts in scripture, and I confess I struggle with how Hagar's story concludes. But the fact that one in such dire circumstances can encounter God and can name that God the God who sees me fills me with hope. Let's put that together with this creedal affirmation that Jesus suffered. We have a high priest who shares in the lowest of our human experiences and a God who sees us in all of our individual struggles. I hope this knowledge is able to carry you through when intellectual arguments fail. God knows our pain intimately, not from a distance. What about you? What does it mean for you that Jesus enters into our suffering? This podcast was brought to you by Trinity College Queensland. Honest answers to tough questions. Visit trinity.qld.edu.au to learn more.